Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Jeffrey Nyquil. <laughs> are, are, did you invent Nyquil? No, my great grandfather did. And I would appreciate it if we wouldn't talk about it. Oh, you, so you come from family money. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's old money. You wouldn't get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, basically, the Buchanan's. Look, Tom Buchanan? Tom Buchanan, yeah, yeah, Oh, my God. He was based on my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So F. Scott Fitzgerald saw Thaddeus Nyquil and was like. Thaddeus, that's a good one. It was like, you know what? This guy. Did you do this on purpose, by the way? Do you want to match no. my shirt on purpose? No. Oh, I like that, though. Good job. Uh, this is the first cut I No, 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 good job. Uh, I'm going to be bending down a lot, by the way. Those of you who are watching this. Uh, yeah. I have articles here that are highlighted on the well, floor. I lost my bid anyway, so it's all good. Well, welcome okay. back, everyone. Um, man, this is a. I don't know about you, man, but I feel I feel I feel feel a little apprehensive about this one, just because but this one, just because we just have a lot to talk about. It's a lot. I, you know, I think it just feels like a lot. I think once we get started, I don't think it will be a lot. Um, but there is a lot that goes into this movie, and there's a lot that. Uh, Jack and David Venture mm. put into this story. Uh, true or not. So uh, I guess we can go ahead and get started. Ray, what are we talking about today? So today, Jeremy, sorry, I for, I literally forgot the first name. I was like, I'm not going to call you Mr. NyQuil. <laughs> so, it's fine. I just, you know, it's fine. Jeremy um, is fine. <laughs> uh, today we were talking about David Venture's Mank. Um, if you tuned in last week, we also said that we may touch on Citizen Kane, uh, which a little bit, a little bit, not a lot, because that's its own episode yeah, later that, on. Yeah, line. that for sure. After finally watching that, uh, that for sure, we would need to dedicate. It would have to be like a, like when we did The Shining, either one massive long episode or a two parter. Yeah. Because I feel like there was there would be so much to talk about. And there's still fucking stuff we met. I kick <sighs> myself every time. We're gonna have to do a part two uh, of, for the shining. shining. Yeah, because there's yeah. stuff we missed, and I'm so mad at myself <laughs> for the stuff we missed. Uh, but anyway, so this film, as we were discussing off mic, is would probably be considered a historical fiction because this follows, uh, played by our main man Gary Oldman. So it's our second Gary Oldman movie we've done this season. Herman Mankiewicz, who is the co-author of Citizen Kane, one of the greatest movies considered ever made. Right. He also is uncredited in helping to write The Wizard of Oz as well. Oh, yeah. Because he was, makes a quip about that in the Well, he keeps beginning. bringing it up, yeah. Because yeah. like, towards the end of the movie, you know, because when his brother visits him, his brother mentions Oz, and he's like, that fucking movie. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Because it was a bitch. I mean, listen, Google, stop listening to us. Google uh, the making of The Wizard of Oz, and it's a it's a complete nightmare. I mean, they went through like seven directors, a ton of writers, you know, set disruptions. The the woman, I'm blanking on her name, um, who played the witch, she caught on fire. There's a... Well, oh, and guy, of course, you know, the actor who played the Tin Man was yes. allergic to the makeup. Right. And so, there. I mean, it's a nightmare. The whole thing was. So, I mean, that's why in the movie, Mank was like, that fucking movie, man. It's a, it's a clusterfuck. Yeah. But anyway. Even though it, in its own right, pioneered a whole new way of movie making as well, but we'll probably never... Would you, would you want to do an episode of Wizard of Oz? Probably not. Not I've, anytime I soon. I think I've seen it twice in my life. Really? Oh, I've yeah. seen it a bunch of times, but not anytime soon. I don't think I'd want to do yeah. an episode of Wizard of Oz. Um, so, Jeremy, yes, how, how do we begin this, 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 this story of a very complicated man? Well, we could put text up that says opening, interior, yeah. movie room. Sidebar. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love yeah, that. Yeah, it's great. I was like, that's so cool. Yeah, it's that's so fucking cool. It's cool, man. I Okay, so we, I mean, we can just start with the story. Um, so it's a story about Herman Mankiewicz make, writing Citizen Kane. So, um, and it's done in the, in the narrative rhythm of Citizen Kane. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Which is why I'm glad I watched Citizen Kane yeah. first before I, I jumped into Mank. Because it, it, in Citizen Kane, it's, hey, we discovered this about Charles Foster Kane. Flashback. Hey, we discovered this about Charles Foster Kane. Flashback. Flashback. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's happening here. Inst- but instead of, you know, we're discovering things about, we are discovering things about Herman Mankiewicz, but it's more in... How did you come up with this in the script, or what's mm-hmm. what's your beef uh, with Hearst? You know, yeah. how do you know Marion Davies? How do you know what I mean? It's it's sort of like Slumdog Millionaire. Sorry, <laughs> to just <laughs> jump to Slumdog Millionaire for some reason, but you know, I, I love this uh, this plot device of how do you know that, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. or how, how did you be, how did you come to this conclusion? How do you have these feelings towards this person? And then we flash back. Yeah. Right? And, you know, and of course using Lily Collins as essentially the audience. Yes. I got to tell a lot of people, Hey, do you know who her dad is? It's a lot of fun. It's Phil Collins. It's by Phil. The way. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the Tarzan soundtrack. Shout out to the Tarzan soundtrack. I'm kidding. Obviously shout out to Genesis. Fuck you, Peter Gabriel. <laughs> 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 anyway, so, all right. So I do love this this narrative rhythm of it, yeah. and of course, um, what and I his name is written down on one of these articles. <laughs> oh my god! It's uh, it's the cinematographer uh, who worked with David Fincher on Mindhunter. So those of you who are huge fans oh, of Mindhunter, shit. like I am, um, actually, Mindhunter is the one about the FBI agents yeah, learning yeah. how to profile. Yeah. Serial. See, I always meant to get around to watching it. It's amazing. It's probably one of the greatest shows Netflix has ever done. Um, that's right. I'm talking to you, is it, Cake? Um, <laughs> that's on Netflix? Yeah, show's amazing. Oh, that's right, because it's, uh, isn't it Mikey Day who's yeah. the host? show's amazing. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so teaming up with the cinematographer and, of course, using David Fincher's normal style, which is high contrast, mm-hmm. low lighting, you know, in this black and white scape, and of course making it seem like Citizen Kane also. Yeah. Right? Citizen Kane has a similar um, photography. Mm-hmm. Um, also feeds into this uh, story. But um, it, the story really isn't about Mankiewicz. It's about why Mankiewicz wrote Citizen Kane. Yeah. Right? Uh, this isn't a biopic on Mankiewicz. No, it's, this is just plucking this man at a moment in his life that was truly a, a turning point, a career high for him. Yeah, and a turning point for a lot of people in America. It was during the Depression, too. And so um, the 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 latter part of the film, especially when he wins the Oscar, spoilers, um oh, oh my god i missed that one it takes place after the depression but yeah well we're talking right after um the bulk of it is mid early to mid 30s mm-hmm. um and okay so sorry we keep jumping around i keep jumping around so um we open ben makowitz has a broken leg he's in a half body cast you mean herman what did i say ben. Oh, Ben, sorry. Ben Mankiewicz is his grandson. We've been over this. Shout out to Ben Mankiewicz. Shout out to TCM. Um, Herman has broken his leg. Has broken his leg. He's in a half body cast. And he has been tasked for to write this script in 90 days, preferably 60. Yes. As Orson Welles, young, hotshot, 24-year-old filmmaker, was like, we'll do it in 60. Yeah. Uh, which is insane. Uh, to... To even do it in 90 days, I think it would be hard. Yeah. Because basically started from scratch. I think he had a general idea, but it's like, you know. Yeah, he had to flush it out. Write the whole thing. Yeah. Basically. Or first yeah. draft. And most, yeah, most screenwriters go through, you know. Some people take years. Yeah. So, but, I mean, working on multiple projects isn't like one person's working on one thing. It, it, anyway, it doesn't matter. Point being. Point being, he's got very little time to pull this off, right? And, mm-hmm. of course, having a broken leg, which in reality, he wrote this after he had recovered from the car accident. So, um, do you think they did this to... He So, Fincher, or I guess Jack, uh, Jack Fincher is David Fincher's father, who died in 2003 uh, from cancer, but had this script, and uh, Fincher decided, let's go ahead and make this thing. That's um, kind of like a, a thing for his dad. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And that story in and of itself is, this is sort of, the way Mankiewicz is getting revenge on Hearst, mm-hmm. uh, David Fincher is getting revenge on the on Hollywood, um, you know, for doing his dad dirty. Really? Uh, oh, hang on. So, <laughs> so um, Mankiewicz is is suffering from not only is he an alcoholic. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, but he's also super jaded. He's also sort of like grouchy um, mm-hmm. at this, at, at Hollywood, at, at the Hollywood system. Because as we will later find in flashbacks, you know, he is discovering that Hollywood and movie making is run by the powerful and uh, the the influential, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. And... Um... And they like they like the things the way they are. Yeah, they, man, especially during this time. Yes, and okay, so there's a lot. Like I said, that's why I felt a little apprehensive. It's okay. Um, Let's just—I don't know if we'll be able to go in order for flashback by flashback, but um, here are some of my favorites. Okay, Okay. those of you who are listening and watching this have seen the movie. I hope it's on Netflix. So yeah, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. You don't anywhere. have to rent it for now. You just gotta, you know, pay Netflix, you know, thirty dollars. Right, right, right. And right, then right. you can watch it. Right, 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 right. Um, cool, 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 cool. So I love the first time we see Mankowitz. Um it's through the eyes of um shit. Marion Davies' nephew. Charles Letterer. Letterer. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he is a very accomplished screenwriter himself. Google him. He's got a bunch that you'll recognize. Uh, A lot of these people do, by the way. So people who he just mentions in passing or meets in that room, they're all famous Hollywood people. So Google them. I didn't have time to write them all down, but... um, And that seems like too much work for Future Rain to put up on the screen. It's fun to just go... What was that name again? Google. Google. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Um, And (laughs) Make new him? And the fact that you know, Fincher, both Finchers, uh, sort of just have them as background characters. We meet them once and sometimes never again. And sometimes we see them again, but it's, you know, again for just a brief little scene. Right. It's, you know, they're they're there to move the plot along and then they leave. Right. Yeah. But knowing who they are, like if you're a cinephile or if you just, you know, know your old Hollywood, uh, it's just, it's super fun to be like, I know who that is. So... Anyway, but him at MGM, mm-hmm. right? I thought it was Paramount. Him at Paramount. Yeah, I think I think he started. Oh, at started Paramount. at Paramount. You're right. And then he and went then to, went to MGM. Yeah, right. So him at Paramount. I mean, it's it's like it's like stepping into a time machine. It's wonderful. It, the music uh, swells, and it it's like you're in a dream, right? Yeah. It it's truly the magic of filmmaking, um, is being on this in this lot. And going with Charles through all the rooms and to to meet Mankiewicz, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, him being sort of coy about who his aunt is. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Which I liked. Um, so I loved that. I loved when he gets to talk to Marion Davies mm-hmm. for the first time uh, on that film set uh, as he was rudely awoken yeah. <laughs> from, from the film set. Um that uh, William Randolph Hearst was uh, uh, he's financing the financing movie. yeah yeah because that's when he runs back into Louis, Louis Mayer B- Louis B. Mayer that's right one of the M's in MGM that's right uh, Metro Golden Goldwyn Mayer uh, he's the last one yeah. um, so I know this is so hard so, I'm telling well, you bro it's because I watched this like fucking two days ago okay so um, so I love these these scenes, right? I right. love Amanda Seyfried as Davies. I I think that yeah. <clears throat> this is also a redemption for Marion Davies. This movie is because if you if you think because Davies is the inspiration for what's her face in Citizen Kane, Susan. Thank you. Um, you're gonna be like, oh, Marion, who fucking cares, right? Right. Uh, she was done dirty in that movie for sure. Uh, that is not an accurate representation of who Marion Davies was. 
Um, and so this is also sort of a, 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 not quite revenge, but a sort of, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is who Marion Davies was. Yeah. Uh, what, you mean like the betrayal that Amanda does? No. Uh, well, the betrayal that Amanda does is redemption. Okay, that's what I was asking. Yeah, yeah, the, the Susan character. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, the Susan, yeah, which, you know, it's so funny that you, you go to that because, you know, Mank repeatedly tells people once he finishes it, it's not about her. Right. You know, that's that's not meant to be her. Right. Or at least the I, or you know, as he tells Charles, it's meant to be the idea that people have of her. Right. And he's like, but it's not, He, he essentially he's I'm trying not to say I'm not insulting her. Right. But this is what people think of her. I agree. I think it was definitely meant as a big fuck you to William Randolph Hearst. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, and of course, we get there uh, over time, yeah. right? Uh, because initially when he meets Hearst, he charms Hearst. Hearst is intrigued by him. He likes him yeah. and invites him to his parties, right? Yeah, they, they really hit it off. Yeah. Um, it's not until the the election mm-hmm. then he thinks something's really up up right i mean it, there's there are a few things like you know he's mankowitz is distrustworthy of these Pretty people much everyone. It, it, right anyway like this you know but once the election kicks off by the way how fun was bill nye the but science dude, guy i i will say i'm just a little disappointed he didn't have more screen time i know but as soon as i heard his voice it's like is that fucking <laughs> bill nye and then we get that that profile shot of him. I was like, oh my god, this is fucking Bill Nye. Yeah, man. Um, Shout out to David Fincher for getting the coolest dude ever to just do one scene for him. Yeah. Like, you know, I... This is a side story, but like, I, I was at a, a thing at MC that Bill Nye came to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. about that. And uh, hearing my childhood science dude say fuck, because he was like, because he's telling some story and he was like, yeah. And I thought, fuck, if I just, and I was like, did, did Bill Nye just say fuck? But yeah, no, it was, that was really cool. And, uh, I do, again, I wish he had more screen time, but the movie wasn't really about Upton Sinclair. They just needed to introduce him so we could understand Mank's views on, um, politics essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, which this isn't a sidebar. This is actually, you know, it's so funny. Well, not funny. It's uh, ironic, really, that in the 30s, they were having these discussions about, <clears throat> you know, Republicans and Democrats, and we're still having these exact well, same I mean, of conversations. Course, right? That's it's never so, going to go it's away. It's so wild. That's never going to go away, I think. But um, but you're right. In Especially when it gets to the to the actual like election night and stuff mm-hmm. like that, the part's insane. And I think that Fincher does such a wonderful job in, you know, in framing Mankiewicz and his sort of, he's sort of losing it a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I, I love that scene. Um, okay. Quit. So I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I'm talking to me really. Okay. So, uh, rain. Yes. Before we go any further, before I get even more sidetracked, why this one? So, I had really, you you really told me about this, and, you know, I want to say I'd seen it, like, scrolling through uh, Netflix one day, and you were like, dude, you gotta see it. Yeah. And when I saw it was David Fincher, I was like, okay, and then I saw Gary Oldman on the cast list, I was like, well, you know, I'd love me some Gary Oldman, but I still didn't know what the movie was about, until I watched the first trailer, <clears throat> And learned that it was about Citizen Kane. And of course, as everyone should, everyone has heard the name Citizen Kane. If they, if you haven't seen it, like I knew of that, that title, like, and I knew that it had some place in Hollywood history, but I'd never gotten around to seeing it because before doing the podcast, as I admitted in our Sunset Boulevard episode, that was the only black and white movie I'd ever seen by that point. And black and white films didn't really interest me. Now, I'm 100% down to do it. Thank you, by the way. And so, 
when we were making our lists for this season, I was like, you know what? It's it's time. Time it's for Mank. Ti- it's time to see Mank um, put it on the list. And, of course, you were technically the one who chose it. Yes, it was technically. on... Technically. Yes, it was on my list, but technically you chose it. Right, but you had to have a reason yeah, to put it on but, the list. And, so, you know? and also, of course, you know, I love the idea that you had of, of watching Citizen Kane so we could talk about Citizen Kane with this movie. Yeah. Um, well, mostly because of the 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 narrative devices. Yeah. Right? They're the same. Well, and also, you know, I told mom... That I was finally going to see Citizen Kane, and she almost died. She was like, you need to pay attention to it. You need to do this. And I'm like, you don't think I'm going to not pay attention to it? I'll tell you this. I was... Man. Maybe 14 when I saw Citizen Kane. Uh-huh. I was 14 or 15. Um, and at first, I, I had asked her for Christmas. The, the, the book, the Blu-ray uh, book, uh-huh. the, the digi book winner. Um, and I was like, you know, I heard this movie is really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to see it. I was shocked by how much I liked it. It's awesome. I was so intrigued by it. I loved the rhythm of it. I loved this, this investigation side of it. Plus the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Plus what the fuck does Rosebud mean? Right? Yeah. And, and it's like... It, for a movie to come out in 1941, yeah, to dude. have that effect on a 15 year old in like 2007 or however old that was back then, well, or however whatever you're year almost 30, yeah, so yeah, it would be 2007, is unbelievable. And I, you know, a lot of it does have to do with how it looks, right? Yeah, the the direction of it is pretty flawless. Yeah, man, coming from a 24 year old who's never done it before. Oh yeah, rad. Yeah, um, rad. yeah, dude. How, how? Well, and also, you know, the whole film itself, which you know, you know, the Mank opens with, is you know, Orson Welles had unprecedented creative control. Right. You know, now when you hear about a film <clears throat> in today's standards of a director having creative control, you're like, whoa. Yeah. How did they do that? Right. And of course, they have. I mean, they have a filmography a mile long mm-hmm. to finally get that. This guy had never done it before. Yeah, he was coming off of theater, right? And uh, what I loved about our sort of introduction to Orson Welles in this, which, by the way, I love how Fincher uses Orson Welles in this. Mm-hmm. Jack Fincher wrote him as just a barely a sidekick. He's a cameo, yeah. right? He. He's not what you would think. He, you would think that you're like, okay, it's about her, it's about Herman Mankiewicz. It's about the writing of Citizen Kane. Orson you're, Welles is probably going to be in it the whole time. You're going to think Orson Welles is the bad guy because Orson Welles is going to keep bothering him mm-hmm. and bugging him and taking control away from Mank- that. Doesn't happen in this. Yeah, but Orson doesn't. To that point, Orson doesn't really become a bad guy until the very end of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, kind bad of guy, of. sort of in quotes, and yeah. Um, it, it's it's Hurst. Hurst is the bad guy. Yeah, and Mayor. Uh-huh. Um, both of them are the antagonists, and it's not Orson at all. Orson's barely in it. And by the way, the actor, perfect. Yeah, he nailed it. He's the, a perfect Orson. Welles. The the cadence of his voice. Oh, I know the uh, voice is just so spot on. F- facial wise, they did a good job to make him look very close to Orson, but it, it's his voice and his mannerisms. I was like. That's Orson Welles. But what I love most is that Jack Fincher leaves in things like, oh, he's um, he's testing for Hearts of Darkness, which never got made, right? Uh-huh. Um, and we know this because Apocalypse Now got made, <laughs> right? Oh. Um, Apocalypse Now is based on Hearts of Darkness, which is a, a book on, uh, I believe, World War II. Um, but then... Coppola, no, not Coppola. Why did yeah, I say Coppola? Coppola's uh, Apocalypse Now, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola? Apocalypse Now? I thought it was Kubrick. Nope. Really? I've had that wrong for fo- so fucking long? I guess. Kubrick is Full Metal Jacket. Okay, so it's all right. Well, okay. Anyway, so, but then Coppola, of course, setting it in setting Vietnam. Setting it in Vietnam. Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's, cool, 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 cool. it's just so funny that... Um, that 
uh, Fincher adds that in there to, I guess, give us context of what year it is, but also, you know, to be, <laughs> I guess it's like a jab at Hollywood, be like, this didn't get made, right? Or yeah. something. <laughs> well, and you know, and it's funny, you know, when I was telling mom, after I, we saw, after I watched this game, we talked about it, and, <clears throat> and she was telling me, which I, I didn't agree, not necessarily agree with, but I was like, that doesn't sound right. She was telling me how that was Orson's highest film. And I was like, no, I think he's, I think up until like the sixties from the, the love me when I'm dead, uh, mm-hmm. documentary. That's when he started to kind of in, in terms of, I think he still had flubs. I mean, this isn't the citizen game show, but, um, I guess it kind of is. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Maybe even by touch of evil, it was like, like he's losing respect. Yeah, <laughs> by touch of evil. Well, I mean, shout out to our history of the world part one when you said that Orson uh, was just going through a real bad time. Yeah, I still need to see uh, his movie that I didn't realize that they finished and put on Netflix. Yes, yes. Um, the other side of the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It- I I have a <clears throat> bootleg copy uh, uh, of that. Um, Anyway, uh, okay, Sorry. so so back to Mink. So, yeah, so Orson's barely in it. Um, and we're just really following Mank and these experiences and what triggers, you know, as they say in the movie, write what you know. Right, exactly. Um, I, I like that. And the, one of the articles I read down here um, compared this movie to The Social Network. Shout out Another to The Social Network. Yeah. Um, to where, I mean, there are a few comparisons. One of them was where Fincher sort of left out the political and social implications of Facebook. Oh yeah. Right. Um, he doesn't, it's almost like he picks up where he left off with this one or saying, Hey, I forgot this. I'm going to throw it in this one. Uh, because Mm. in this one, they're using film, um, to basically defraud people into voting for someone. Yeah. Um, putting fake news, if you want to use that moniker, or, you know, just false information out there mm-hmm. with um, Hearst funding these fake news reels. These uh, propaganda reels, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which I thought was genius because if you've seen Citizen Kane, you can see where that, that part in Mank's life he goes, that's where I got that. Yeah, because uh, right. as we all know, which I hope we would all know, in the first five minutes, Citizen Kane then goes to a newsreel so perfectly edited into this film. And then it cuts back to guys in the newsroom being like, ah, it's, it doesn't really sum up his life. It's like, oh, so perfect. I know. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Citizen Kane was dope. Uh, so it was this movie. But anyway. Um, it has the pacing of a modern movie. It's amazing. Yeah, and so, <clears throat> yeah, and so, and you know, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting them to really get into the politics of everything. Yeah, but <clears throat> it made sense. It does make sense because it it makes sense to where it tarnishes the relationship not only with Mankiewicz and Hearst, but Mankiewicz and Mayer, mm-hmm. right? Well, and it always... Louis B. Mayer's an asshole, well, and <laughs> according it ar- to this movie. And it already seemed like Mank had a very... What's the term I'm looking for? They, they didn't already have a good relationship, you know? That's true. Like, it already seemed like Mank was like, eh, I don't, I don't know about this guy. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, moments with Mayer is probably everyone's favorite in this movie is when... Uh, Mank takes his brother to meet. Oh, Mayor. and he's like, I only watch films that make me cry. And how do I cry? Emotion. And where does my emotion come from? And I'm not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. He does the thing. But, uh, but then, of course, then he meets with everyone on the lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the part that I really, really like. It's, I don't know what it is about it. It's so manipulative and gross. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it really is. is. Um, and of course, <clears throat> he's such a politician too because uh, one of the, I think one of the grips or something was like, or, is your 
uh, salary going to be cut in half? He goes, and guys, guys, we're all here to help. He completely dodges the question. Yeah. And they never go back to it. Yeah, no, Instead, one, no one's every, like, hey, wait, 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 hey, wait. No, 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 you didn't answer the question. Uh, they just rally and, and yeah. agree. And, and and I love that we get an answer to what happened later on when Joe's like, well, you know, he, he did give all the salaries back, but he didn't pay back the the money he said that they were going to get back. Right. Which, I mean, proves that <clears throat> Mayor, uh, he will do whatever he can to to save money, to cut back, but not on himself. By the way, in terms of Hollywood success, Joe is more successful, uh, became more successful than Herman did. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> the actor who plays Mayor, apparently this guy just always gets cast in really slimy roles because <laughs> for all the uh, Jurassic Park fans out there, he's in The Lost World. He's the guy who's trying to bring the dinosaurs from Isla Nublar to the main world. I've seen that movie once. He gets eaten at the Oh, spoilers. Spoilers for the second Jurassic Park movie. Wait, don't you mean Jurassic Park 2? It's Jeff Goldblum's movie now? I love Jeff Goldblum. So do I. Right. This movie could have used Jeff Goldblum. No, I'm I'm kidding. This movie was perfect. This movie is perfect. I love this movie. I, I think it's... You know, it's more the I love showbiz movies. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, it's sort of lame, but I do love showbiz movies. Well, I mean, because it gives us a peek into something that you and I love so much. Right. And it's, again, like I said, you know, the film is almost like a historical fiction. We're seeing how they probably really made these, well, not probably, how they made these movies back then. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole time I was watching Citizen Kane, I was like, oh. Yeah. Because, you know, with technology now, we can do that effortlessly. But like, you know, like the dissolves and, you know, the shots, you know, that are at everyone's you know, legs. I'm like, how? Yeah. How do they do that? I know. You know? It's crazy. And, you know, I, as everyone knows, I love uh, Charles Chaplin. Sorry. Forgot his name there. I almost said Charlie. Charlie I love Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. Um, I was it, like, Charles Chaplin? Dance? Charles dance that's right no i love uh, charlie chaplin and when you know you see these things you're like how the fuck did he do that and when they explain it to you you're like oh I'm like, uh, it's uh, it's miniatures and forced perspective and you know like dual uh dual uh, film packs on cameras so you can do two things at once mm-hmm. uh it's it's a lot of that and it's you know S- sidebar yeah in terms of a technical did fincher film this on film no so he just made it look like it was on film because yes, I kept the seeing the cigarette burns. Yeah, because uh, how much sh- did you love the cigarette burns? Shout out to our Fight Club episode, <laughs> the learning what that was, and every time I kept seeing it, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah no, he that. he shot this thing digital. He loves digital filmmaking, and who's to blame him? Because it's so much easier to do what he does so effortlessly, or at least makes it look like it is melding in CGI. Mm-hmm. That you don't know is CGI. Yeah, man. Right. Fincher's use of CGI is unprecedented. Could you imagine if he directed a Marvel movie? I mean, it would. I mean, it would be the most grounded Marvel movie you've ever seen. You wouldn't tell what was CGI and what wasn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in. But I also loved. Again, speaking of technicality, I loved all the shots in cars. Yeah. Where you could obviously tell it looks like they're on a, a screen, and I was like, that's so cool. I know. Because that's how they did it back then. Yeah. They cut the car in half and then it would look, or at least put it on a track and the the background would go by. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Love that so again, much. Again, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a love letter to old Hollywood, but <clears throat> again, it's also redemption for his dad. Well, we can get into that if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is interesting. Because when, when you told me last week that his dad wrote the script, I was like, dope. Like, because... I mean, I think Fincher is not only obviously an accomplished director, but I think he's a fantastic writer as well. Um, so, yeah, what, what, what happened with that? So Spill the tea. So not only has, did his dad write this in 2003, couldn't get it made, whatever. Or it wrote it before 2000, he died in 2003. Um, but he had a hard time getting it made. Right. He wrote a, um, a script about Howard Hughes, and he... 
he was in the process of getting it to Scorsese. Scorsese went, or the studio went with another rival script. And that became The Aviator. I was just about to say, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So they fucked him um, for that. And then, of course, he couldn't get the other thing made. And then, you know, I mean, it was just like Hollywood wasn't for Jack Fincher, right? Um, even though, as we can plainly see, it's he's extremely talented. Mank is mm-hmm. very well written. I'm assuming David didn't touch his dad's script. No. Yeah. Not to my knowledge. I didn't read anything that said he did anything with it. I mean, I would assume not, especially if David believed in the script, which I'm sure he did. Of course. It's dad. Sh- yeah, it's his dad. I-, I-, I couldn't see, like, well, dad, you know, I'm this cutting, scene right I'm here. I'm cutting all this. I'm cutting all <clears throat> the nude scenes. Um, dad, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to pull a Matt Reeves a few years early, and I'm just going to read the whole thing. Um, I couldn't see that. I, I, I could see him being very respectful. Like, Hey, this is my dad's word. I could have seen him maybe altering some scenes, but nothing dramatically. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's interesting, man. That, that is really, but it's so funny too. Like, it's almost like his dad couldn't make it in Hollywood, but David has, you know, it's almost like. David's like, it's all right, Dad. I got this. Right. And <clears throat> so um, a, a great moment, and I, I'm going to read it. A great moment in this movie is when he, when Mankiewicz meets William Randolph Hearst for the first time, mm-hmm. reconnects with Marion Davies, um, and he's on the, the MGM set. Um, Louis B. Mayer asks uh, Irving Thalberg. Thal- yeah, Thalberg. Thank you. Uh, he asks who he is, and Thalberg says, he's just a writer. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's almost in in this um, article from The Hollywood Reporter, um, he says that, you know, Fincher looks to to correct that slight. You mm-hmm. know, he looks to prove <clears throat> that Mankiewicz is not just a writer, that, you know, Mankiewicz is number one, the smartest person in the room. He, tru- goes, he truly is. Right? Even, even completely shit faced. He's the smartest person in the room. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's as if, hang on, I'm, I'm, re- I'm rereading this. Um, I, I also read somewhere and I have no idea which one of these it is. It might've been the one I threw away. Uh, where, um, I, I don't remember it in the movie, but they said that Mankiewicz was telling all of his friends, his writer friends, because mm-hmm. he was a reporter first before he was a screenwriter. Okay. Uh, he said, guys, there is so much money to be made here and your competition is idiots. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta come over. You know what I mean? Cause this is easy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, again, cause like a lot of people in, in screenwriting back then it's beneath them screenwriting was wasn't like the goal right screenwriting was something you fell into yeah it kind of reminds me of and don't don't laugh at me i might still it reminds me of the the time mom and i watched the movie leatherheads with george clooney oh yeah i remember that i didn't see it and well well one of the parts in it is they're asking john krasinski's character if um because his character is a college football player if he would ever consider going pro and they laugh at it. And I was like, well, why did they laugh? Like pro is such a, but it's because in that time going pro was unheard of. Like yeah. no one went pro. Of course now. And now no one cared. And, and then no one cared because you didn't make that much money. Now going pro is like, and same with screenwriting. It's like, Oh, you got a, you got a movie greenlit dude. Yeah. Like, whoa. Whoa, dude. Right back then. No, not so much. Yeah. Um, which kind of, I can see it. Well, and you know, the, the scene that I love is when they're still at Paramount, they improv a pitch. A pitch yeah. Which I loved because it's like, they don't give a shit about anything, you know? And I love that they get Charles in on it. And that's how you realize it's a bit that they're doing is mm-hmm. they throw him into it. Yeah. Just to see how he does, number one, to see if he fits in. And and, and number two, it's just like we're just we're having fun. Well the whole None time of this matters. I'm gonna be real. The whole time I was like trying to figure out what movie they were pitching. I was like, Yeah. What? Are they pitching a real movie I've I seen? Like, I was like, have I seen this? Like 
Uh, and then, of course, I thought was, they were pitching Frankenstein. I was like, wait, no, that's that's Universal. That's Universal, and it wouldn't have happened yet. Yeah. And I was like, and plus, they're at Paramount. <laughs> like, what are they pitching? Right. And then, yeah, it wasn't until Charles got involved. I was like, oh, they don't have anything. Yeah, no. And it's because they don't care. Yeah. Right? And this is beneath them. Right? Uh, which is an interesting concept. And I and I like that Fincher adds that in there. Mm-hmm. Um that, you know, if you think Mankiewicz enjoyed it, you'd be wrong, I think. I think yeah. maybe with, with Citizen Kane he did, to an extent. but Well, well especially in this movie, especially at the end, uh, definitely enjoyed it. And again, the system was so different back then because the the studios owned you. Yeah. Just like with actors, they owned <clears throat> the writers, too. So it's like I write for Paramount, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like saying I write for the New Yorker. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That make, yeah. It was less freelance. As we're now, you know, you can. You write and you, then you pitch. And then you sell. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter, you know, like, no. you know, the Russos have made movies for Disney, but also Apple TV, you know. And, sure. Sorry. My mind just went right to the Russos. You, your mind did go to the Russos. Uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I guess because I was bringing up Marvel. I don't know. But, um, but you know, so I do want to talk about, because I know we've been kind of all over the place. With I this know. Episode. I'm so sorry, guys. We're sorry, everyone. But, I mean, it is just because this movie is so This rich. movie is also kind of all over the place just because of the back and forth. But that that's no excuse. Yeah. But but the, but this movie is so rich in its, in its narrative. Um, so I, I love the last... The last 15 minutes when Mank is telling Orson that he wants full credit or at least partial credit. Um, and Orson's like, no, you agreed to, uh, I'm assuming be anonymous or uncredited, yeah. uncredited. Cause I'm assuming had it gone that way, it would have said directed by Orson Welles, written by Orson Welles. Yeah, probably. Written and directed by Orson Welles. Yeah. Or however they would have done it. Yeah. Uh, but Manx, like, no, it's the best thing I've ever written. I want credit. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, he, as we learned at the end, he did get his credit. Yeah. And got an Oscar. Yeah. But I still didn't remember, uh, not remember, I didn't get the whole, you know, I love that Fincher played the radio. Yeah. Uh, of Orson and Rio. And he was like, tell Mank he can kiss my half. Yeah. Like, I don't. Is, is Orson just still that, still kind of like upset about their little fight? Yes. And I think it's because in this, of course, I have no knowledge. I didn't do any research on this. I think that it's because he was given full autonomy. He was given full creative freedom. This was his. Right. And and he thought he had Mank. Right. And right where it's he wanted like, him. Dude, my name's all over this thing. Right. It's just me. And he had to give some of that away. And it's like, shit. You know what I mean? He, I'm sure it was, you know, the hubris of such a young filmmaker, right? Yeah. Being like, dude, I am the youngest filmmaker ever to get this, this, you know, uh, opportunity to make a movie this way. And I am the sole beneficiary of all of this, right? And yeah. then, of course, when Mank demands half credit for just the writing part. Um, yeah, it's no longer all Orson, and so Orson doesn't like that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I liked the the little fight, which is what inspired his meltdown in the end of Kane. It was his Kane, which I'm sure as we're talking about again, historical fiction may have not actually happened that way, but I, I like to think that that's just very interesting that Orson got so mad that he broke Manx's little stash of alcohol. <laughs> And he's like, you know what? It's a perfect scene for when Susan leaves Kane to end with the, you know. <laughs> well, and um, there's, I mean, there's no way I'll get to pretty much any of it because it's been days. Um, but the scene, the the circus party yeah. uh, that Mank goes to at Hearst's house. Where he crashes. It's amazing. Yeah. It, this is... I was trying to think about this because I, I have movies that I love. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have movies that I love for certain reasons. There are writer movies 
yep. that I love. There are director movies that I love, and there are acting movies that I love. Um, I'll watch a movie just to watch people act, uh-huh. right? Um, the Master is one of those. Even though the direction is remarkable and the writing is perfect, the the acting... Well, it's Philly C. ...is why I watch The Master, right? Um, Philly C and Joaquin... This one kind of has it all for me. Because I was just about to say, does this have it all for me? Because in this, in this scene in particular, this scene is just Oldman's for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no one... I mean, yeah, we're getting a lot of really good physical acting from Charles Dance and Amanda Seyfried and all the extras in the scene. Um, but yeah, Gary is commanding the scene. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's just... It's a powerful, you know, climax of this movie. Well, and it's in our and it's our final clue as to why he wrote Citizen Kane the way he did. Yeah, um, and it's because he felt understandably insulted by someone he considered a friend, right? In Hearst, and Hearst pretty much calling him a, a an organ monkey. Um, well, and then of course Mayor calling him a court jester, right? Um. Which is so interesting that Joe brings up later on. You know, he's like, someone had to say it. But it's like, you weren't there, Joe, so how did you know? Yeah. Unless Mayor just went around. And of course he did. Yeah, you know he probably did. Um, God, Mayor sucks. Yeah. MGM, you okay. But Louis Mayer, you can go fuck yourself. I mean, I, he's probably dead. So. I, I, I was rereading some of this while you were talking. I wasn't listening. Um, what, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um but it talks a little bit about the fiction sort of heightening the reality. Okay. Right. And and I really like this because they, of course they bring up the social network. This is the one that compares the two. Um, yeah, Cause the social network wasn't a hundred percent accurate either. No. And of course another Fincher, right. And mm-hmm. in this case, Aaron Sorkin wrote it and um, playing with the reality by adding in fiction or reworking real life events, mm-hmm. it it's not. It doesn't hurt, really the, the story as a whole because what you're doing is you're highlighting. Elements of these characters or elements of this scenario or of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And. And just highlighting those specific moments in time or highlighting a specific emotion or tone or mm-hmm. character development or right. And that's kind of what this right. movie's doing too, right? Where the, these events didn't happen exactly like this and they're not even pretending it did. Right. Yeah. It, no one's saying this is how it went down. This right? is how it went down. Okay. Look, Mank woke up at their house, hung over and watched them make a movie. Right. Yeah. Like, it, no, 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 no. That's probably not how it went down, right? It's yeah. sort of Aaron Sorkin has done this before in a movie that is phenomenal that everyone has to see. It's called Steve Jobs, and you have to watch it. Oh, yeah. Shout out to our boy Michael Fassbender. Uh, you may not look like Steve Jobs, but 100% he nailed nothing in that movie happened the way it actually happened. Okay, he didn't run into the same five people every time they launched a new product. That's unrealistic, no. but. Yeah. To understand the relationships between these real life people, mm-hmm. putting them in these scenarios that is fictionalized helps you understand who they are and their character and how they relate to one another mm-hmm. and the importance they hold within the story as a whole, right? Yeah. That's what Fincher and Fincher are doing here, right? Well, see, and it's, and it's so interesting that you're bringing this up because that's the one thing that a lot of people criticize biopics of doing is altering the truth, you know, altering it to fit the narrative, you know, like, you know, one of the biggest complaints I heard about, for example, Bohemian Rhapsody is the whole breakup, the inexplicable of oh, the brand broke up. Yeah. Which of course Queen never broke up in their career. Happens in every movie though. Yeah. But it does, it does happen in every movie. Um, I'm trying to think of another band biopic the the band breaks up. Um, oh, a uh, rock star. That's not a biopic. I'm sorry. Rock star. No, I knew oh, it with wasn't. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. I was just kidding. I, I knew was it was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, rock star. Um, my dad loves that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's rad. Uh, 
but yeah, you know, and and look, I get it. When it comes to things like w- w- certain biopics, yeah, twisting the truth to fit the narrative sometimes is a little overplayed. But this, I agree, it, it doesn't hit, it doesn't mess the story up at all. The story is still fantastic. Yeah, well, you're still feeling, you know, Manx struggles, his anxieties, his everything that he feels. Um, and you may not know what you're seeing is how it actually happened or not. And, and I think that's what makes it so good is, and again, I'm trying not to say, you know, you know, abstract things in history can get away with this, but you know, like, like Rocket Man, for instance, you know, because another biopic my eyes just hit. Oh, yeah. Um, they play really fast and loose with Elton's. Well, of course, because they do it in the style of, of a musical. Well, and also in that um, Elton's being an unreliable narrator. Oh, yeah. So we don't know where his life is actually at at that moment. Right. You know, but but again. Smart you know, to play it that way, by the way. But true. A hundred percent, especially during that that part of Elton John's life, uh, when he was addicted to that, you know, that cocaine. You know. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, but but again, I agree. This movie it doesn't hinder the story, doesn't hinder what we're watching, and right, truthfully, it comes out way better in my opinion. Right to quote Steve Wozniak, none of it happened, but it's all true. Uh, yeah. So I mean, another example. Uh, Shout out was, to the Woz. I was listening to um, the Apple podcast, or I guess not Apple, it's everywhere, but um, the Chernobyl podcast for the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Right. Uh, They have Craig Mazin, who created and wrote um, Chernobyl, but they also had another, I can't fucking remember his name. Um, Future Rain might put it up for you. um, He teaches writing, and he says that he tells his students, if... If you're writing something because that's what actually happened, it's the worst reason you can write something down. Mm, um, okay. Or I think it's playwright. He, he, he um, teaches playwriting. And he's like, just because it happened in real life doesn't mean you have to write it down. It's not, you know, that's not a good reason. You know, because yes, it might have happened that way. But is it, in, in this case, for playwriting, uh-huh. does it? help the story does it move the story forward does it right does it Mm -hmm. fit the story you're trying to tell and the narrative you're trying to tell and i think that that's a good example for for this and for steve jobs and for the social network it's yeah right um and for any biopic by the way so if if you're out there this might just be you know a be easy on biopics episode because there's a reason they don't do it that way for better or for worse. I personally didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. So that's just neither here nor there. Well, but it also didn't help that the director was off, you know, doing some stuff that I'm not going to talk about on mic. It's banging boys. Um, and Dexter Fletcher, shout out to Rocket Man, who did, Dexter Fletcher did that one, had to come in and fix a movie that he needed to get credit for. Yeah. But. Dad, really. Any weasels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, I just... Uh, we haven't even touched on poor Sarah. I know. Okay. So, why does he call her... Is it because... It's because everyone refers to her as, oh, poor Sarah. <laughs> because she has to deal oh, with... Because she has to him. deal with him. Yeah. yeah. And which I love. It's a little... You know, you don't hear anybody say it besides calling her that as a nickname. Mm-hmm. But it's... You can infer that is it has become her nickname because everyone goes, ah, poor Sarah. Well, and I love at the end, she's like, I don't want to hear anyone call me that ever again. Yeah. And he's like, okay. You got it. Um, and, you know, in, in real life history, Sarah stayed with him all the way up until his death. So she, you know, and, and I loved that, that dynamic. Because you can tell that she does care for him. Yeah. But it is hard. It's hard to watch him slowly drink himself to death it's hard to watch him you know lose more than winning yeah um, because in more ways than one not only gambling but also lose in terms of you know what hill to die on that kind of thing yeah but you can tell she does still truly care for him and love him and 
And I, and I really like that dynamic and it didn't make Sarah feel any less important than any other character. No, I agree. Um, I, and again, I like the, the, uh, the setup for, he goes, Oh, and your wife, Sarah, tell, uh, is she, he goes, who? Oh, you oh mean, poor Sarah, poor Sarah. Um, uh, <laughs> as if, you know, to tell him like, listen, man, no one calls her Sarah around here. Everyone calls her poor Sarah. Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah, and it's also to highlight um, his sort of, I guess, self-image. Like, yeah. he also sees himself as hard to deal with. Well, I mean, yeah. Especially He's very can, aware of that. Especially because he continually asks her, why do you love me? Right, yeah. Why do you stick with me? Yeah. Because I think he knows, and somewhere in his own mind, like, I'm just, I'm so difficult. Like, yeah. why, why, why even love me if I'm this difficult? And it, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. But again, at the same time, on the flip side, again, as we've been saying, Mank is the smartest person in the room. He is. This this is a story about maybe one of the best screenwriters in, especially early Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And most people have never heard of him. And I think that's probably, you know, it's, it's Jack Fincher probably seeing a lot of himself in this. Yeah. You know, seeing like a struggling writer who can't catch a break, who's finally, you know, writing something that they're proud of. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And as they say at the end, that is my opinion. I have not again done any research. Well, I mean, that, I mean, it would make sense, especially, you know, with the story about how he got fucked over with, you know, the Howard Hughes biopic, you know. But it makes sense as, you know, especially at the end when it says that. Mank never did anything really after Citizen Kane. Yeah, not really. I looked. Citizen Kane was his first and only Oscar win. And, you know, um, and, it, and it is sad, but at the same time, you know, he and Orson gave us a film that so many films now can thank because that movie exists. But, uh, I agree. Yeah. So Jeremy, are you ready to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Yeah. Um, yeah, man, this movie is wonderful. So, yeah. I love it. I love everything about it. I love the cinematography. I love the writing. I love the directing. I love the acting. I love everything. Um, the music is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Trent Reznor and the other shout guy. Shout out to Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I bought the bootleg so I can have it forever. Because <laughs> uh, nothing is safe. All right? Um, you you thought that just because Daredevil was a Netflix original, it gets to stay on there. Well, that's not true either. So Well, that's on Disney Plus, and I know. it's unedited. Nothing is safe is what I'm saying. So um, Shout out to Clipping. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is, is safe. safe. <laughs> nice. Shout out to uh, David Dick. Shout out to Clipping. Um, I... I'm really happy you chose this for your list. Um, yeah, so am I, man. You know, because, again, this kind of forced me to watch this and Kane, which, uh, before I even finished the movie, um, Ashley and I went to had lunch, and I told her, I was like, y- you're going to watch this with me. You will love it. Yeah, this is this truly deserves all the praise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that it's a cliche that they're like, oh, Citizen Kane's the best movie of all time. And you hear that all the time, especially if you're in our world of hobbying, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you're in, engrossed in all of this film trivia and, you know, film history and whatnot. Uh, you hear all the time, Citizen Kane, it's the best movie ever made. Citizen Kane, it's the best movie ever made. And you know what? It's not far off. If, no. uh, you know, it might not be your favorite of all time. I, it's for sure not my favorite of all time, but it's up there. And but it, it, you can see why people say it. And, and it definitely deserves respect. And it definitely deserves this companion piece of Mank to help us appreciate it even more. I completely agree. It's a companion piece. Um, I think uh, Pauline Kale, who was mentioned in a lot of these articles because she wrote um, a, an essay called Raising Cain. It, this is not based on Pauline Kale's essay. Um, but it's worth looking into. Also, there's a made for TV HBO movie with Leah Shriver, 
No. Um, and it is this story. It is um, essentially Mankiewicz writing Citizen Kane, but it's a little bit more of a traditional biopic sort of a ah, thing. It's okay. not so much about Mankiewicz as it about just making Citizen Kane. Yeah. Um, so that's also, I think it's something about RKO. It's in the title. Shit. It doesn't matter. Um, who cares? So <laughs> check that out if you can. If you can Google from the, you know, keywords I just said. Um, <laughs> and and check that out too. It's in the box set that I have of the Blu-ray of Citizen Kane. Oh, nice. Uh, I also have the, the 4K criterion, but I, I got the, the big one. It's pretty fucking cool. Um, okay, that's it. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, well, so before you tell us yeah. uh, what we're talking about next week, um, in case anyone who doesn't like the Facebook page or Facebook group, um, the podcast is now three years old. Uh, that was such a shock when I woke up that morning and I was looking at my memories and I had shared our very first episode three years ago. Granted, as of this recording, three years in a couple days. Three years was a few days ago. But anyway, but yeah, uh, so... Just real quick, just want to say thank you to everyone who's stuck around for three years through seven seasons. I was explaining that to a customer today. Like, yeah, we've been doing it for three years. We're on our seventh season. Yeah. And she was like... It's like Survivor. Survivor does a couple a year, so do we. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, just want to say thank you. Um, Absolutely. So Jeremy. Yes, sir. So what are we talking about next week? Well, one or two. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Shit. So now I could really fuck us here. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to go. We're going to go number one. Number one. Okay. Here we go. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, next week we are discussing Al Ashby's comedy drama, Harold and Maude. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Al Ashby also did The Last Detail and Being There. Being There is one of... That's, I was about to say, uh, Being, being There is on my Criterion wish list. It's amazing. I absolutely love Being There. I've never seen Harold and Maude, so we'll, we'll check that out. It's about a, a suicidal kid. Oh. Uh, befriends a, uh, a elderly woman with a lush for life, and then they find solace in one another. So, um, so Driving Miss Daisy. It's Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> No, it's not driving Miss Daisy. But uh, Harold, I'm, I'm excited about Harold and um, So am I. I mean, like, I, I don't remember who whose Criterion in the Closet episode it was, but they brought up being there and had nothing but wonderful things to say about it. Oh, and so good. And so I was like, all right, we'll add it to the list. And, of course, it's also, um, uh, what's his name? Peter Sellers. Yes. Um, who, of course, if any of you out there, again, shout out to Stanley Kubrick, seeing Dr. Strangelove, Peter Sellers, Pink Panther kills it. Lolita. Oh, oh that's right. He is. Yeah. He is uh, Jacques Cousteau. Cousteau. Uh, damn. I, I don't think. I Do think you want I, to know what number two was, by the way? Sure. It was Woman Under the Influence. Fuck! <laughs> no. I knew it was gonna fuck us because I've I'm, I've been waiting, I've been waiting to crack open that John Cassavetes. You said one. You said, I, well, know, I can't. I, I know. Can't. I'm not going to go back on it. But I it was know. Woman Under the Influence. was number two. Oh, wow. It's all right. It's <laughs> all right. right. We'll get to Woman Under the Influence, guys. We'll get to it. Okay? <sighs> but he picked number one. That's Harold and Mott. I know. I picked uh, that arbitrary rule that I'm sticking with him. <laughs> it's fine. No, it's fine, man. We'll, we'll, we, Cassavetes, we'll, we'll get to. I'll later. give you a fun fact before we go about Harold and Mott. Okay. Roger Reber hates it. Really? Well, what movies? One and a half stars. What movies doesn't he hate, though? Or hated, he's dead. I mean, R.I.P. R.I.P. But yeah, uh, I, I read because I was I was trying to choose, and I was up between those two, and I was like, oh, let's see what Ebert said about Harold. It's like Jesus Christ, Jesus! Oh my God, he hates it. Your your computer screen turns red. But it's like, oh, oh, shit. oh my God, oh Jesus, oh God, he's so mad from the uh, grave. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, we hope you enjoyed this kind of cluster of an episode. <laughs> Terrible. But, again, uh, there was no other way to talk about Mank without kind of going all over the place. Um, We hope you enjoyed. Again, thank you for three years of listening. And we'll see you next week for Harold and Maude.